Okay, so we're on chapter two of the the uh, seminar that we did at the uh, the Alliance Renewal Church's annual conference. Chapter two is actually the concepts that are behind all of our outreach efforts. And so if we're going to be of one mind, of one spirit, maintaining one faith, striving together for the faith of the gospel, as Paul tells the Philippians to do, then we should at least know what our common uh, principles and uh, that are behind the efforts that we of our outreach okay so we've already covered that fishing is following jesus said if you uh follow me and i'll make you a fisher of men if you're not uh becoming part of a fishing community of christians uh then you're really kind of following a jesus of religion or a jesus of your imagination you're not really following the biblical jesus if you're not getting involved in in uh, the efforts of a community to fish uh, that's jesus definition if you take you know the basic pr- principles of reading uh, uh, the law of non-contradiction and uh the law of reading the reverse negative, if you take those, which we've taught on over and over and over again, the basic principles for reading comprehension, and uh, if you take those seriously, then that's what Jesus is saying. If you follow me, you'll be a fisher of men. If if you're not a fisher of men, then you're not following me. You're, you may think you are, but you must be following a Jesus you made up. Now, uh, the second thing we talked about is that, that Jesus sent people before they were ready. He was the ultimate project-based learning guy. Uh, he sent guys that were so unready that even after the resurrection in Acts 1, 6, and 7, they say, is it this, at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel, meaning that they actually were still buying into the eschatological views of 90-some percent of, of the nation of Israel at, in his day that had nothing to do with his views uh, of the kingdom. And uh, they still didn't get it until Pentecost Sunday themselves. So uh, that's really kind of an amazing phenomena. And in many ways, they didn't even get it at Pentecost as referenced by uh, Philip when he goes to Samaria, having the wisdom to send for Peter and John before he prayed for them to get baptized in the Spirit. He water baptized them. He cast out demons. He healed them. They received Christ. They were water baptized. But he did not pray for them to receive the Spirit. He says, for as yet the Spirit had not fallen on any of them. They had simply been water baptized. They had simply been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ is the literal. So uh, the reason for that is he understood how controversial this was going to be. He understood that these are the half-Jews. These are the people the Jews hate, that, that, they, that they condescend toward. He's half they're half the reason God is is mad at Israel because Israel was supposed to mediate his mercy and grace to the nations. Instead, Israel had become racially prejudiced and hated the nations around them. And uh, they were were in the exact opposite place toward God and toward their fellow man that God had always intended them to be. So, um, that, you know, then in Acts 10... Peter ends up having this amazing vision of, of, you know, the things coming down to him, uh, the unclean animals coming down to him, and the Spirit saying, Arise, go and eat. And then he goes to Cornelius. And it takes all of these miracles at Cornelius' house 
at Peter's vision, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles, before Peter goes, oh my gosh, the kingdom's for the Gentiles also. This is probably some four to eight years after the resurrection. And yet, this is a major, major, major theme spoken of in over 100, probably 1,000 verses of the Old Testament that the, the kingdom was going to be for all nations. From the very calling of the, of the patriarch of Israel, Abraham, go forth and follow me and so forth, and in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Yet they totally had no room for that in their thinking. So we think we're so Bible-believing, and we think we're so... Uh, but the truth is, we're blind to so much. And the Lord needs to, to uh, do various things to open our eyes and restore us. And uh, one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit is to lead and guide us uh, out of deception, out of religiosity, out of the minds, cultural mindsets of, of so-called biblical Christianity into re really knowing what the Bible is actually saying. So uh, then we uh, looked at the whole idea of a, moving from a decision-making model to a discipleship-making model of evangelism. That's ever so important. Uh, the decision-making model uh, started to emerge with Wesley and Whitfield and the Great Awakening. Uh, it was probably permanently put into our culture through Finney, and, and I love all those guys, and I read their books. And, and, uh, uh, but uh, a decision is not what Jesus was after. Jesus is after go into all the world and make disciples. If a person does not become the level of disciple that Jesus intends, uh, if they don't become a disciple like the disciples. He said, do, do exactly what I did. I gave with the, with the three and with the 12 and with the 70 others and with this band of 120 who followed me. This was my discipling community. And yes, I had some different levels of discipling in, in that group and le levels of who I gave myself to and so forth. But he said, go and do that. That's what Matthew 28, 18 through 20 clearly says. Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And so uh, if that of a disciple's not been made, nothing's been made. And numerous, numerous uh, church polling groups uh, who have the money to do this and be accurate have, have uh, confirmed that about one out of 20 people who make a decision in our day ever go on to show any uh, noticeable fruit that would back up that decision to say they actually became a Christian. Just to measure it in things like if they start to read God's word. There's a lot of aspects to what it, to this, you know, to the whole uh, uh, changing from a decision-making model. Uh, point B there are seven different things that we've looked at in terms of missing ingredients in the gospel of America. Uh, letter d there three ingredients of discipleship informational discipleship if discipleship happens at all today it mostly happens by parachurch organizations that are on high school and college campuses it doesn't happen by churches and uh why every church isn't in the middle of a college campus i don't know because the college campus is the most strategic 
front of the of the battle for culture and the future that there is. It's very uh, short-sighted to not have your church be uh, be a campus ministry. So, um, but what discipleship does take place is normally informational. And if you look at that quote there from 2 Timothy 3.10 under point D, you'll see that, that uh, biblical discipleship is impartational and formational. Now, we then got into last week belonging before converting. Uh, I, I really am big on that we want to become a welcoming committee committee community <laughs> and uh we can have a welcoming committee too uh but you know the most postmodern people come from broken lives broken families uh families that that maybe on the outside are still intact but have all kinds of strife on the inside and they're certainly not uh warm um affirming uh guiding places and so forth and so most postmodern people will belong for a, for a while before, I mean, uh, they'll, they'll come for a while, they'll be in our midst for a while before they really convert. Um, sometimes that may, I think, what, the, what we're, what, you know, God gave uh, John and Jason and I sitting on the back deck for hours and hours for the first many years about what God is doing here and trying to figure out why things were so different than they used to be in the 70s and 80s for ministry and i was you know they these guys had to help me get my mind around it you know what we came to understand is the best thing we could do is have the gospel in our worship the gospel in our creeds the gospel in our communion the gospel in our messages and understand that the work of the gospel is going to do a work in people's hearts faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of christ and uh you know first thessalonians two thirteen. I thank you. I thank God that you received from us uh, the 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 word that we spoke to you as for not as the word of man, but as the word of God. What it really is, the word of God, which effectually does its work in those who believe. And one of the things we've understood is if we can be loving, accepting, uh, not add to the offense of the gospel, but in terms of our behavior or our, our being, you know, self righteous or caustic unnecessarily or or whatever like that if we can do that and just wait and let let uh you know the the gospel if there is good news there has to be bad news and the bad news is everything that the sociology teachers don't teach everything the psychology teachers don't teach everything that the entire world view of public schools in public universities, they have a religion in them, and that religion is secular humanistic, and that religion denies the existence of a God who, they, who you have to come to see that you've offended, that you've, that you've missed out on him, that you have run from him, that you've maybe even been religious and gone to church, but you've really avoided God. To come to Christ, you really have to see, uh, first and foremost, you have to get your eyes off you and onto God. And you need to see, wow, what a gap between who he is and who he meant me to be and who I am. And that involves deep concepts of sin. You know, even most Christians uh, that have come to our church, we've waited patiently till we've had enough respect that, that, that they trust us and so forth. And we said, go back and examine the, the, the concept of sin in your life and see that you don't have a very deep concept of sin. 
you kind of think, uh, I, I just needed a little churching up. <laughs> but you, you don't think you, you needed a major remodel. And most Christians sitting in the pews basically think, think they know a lot and they're pretty good people and they really haven't had a depth of brokenness come in their life that, that Peter had when he, after he denied Jesus three times. That Peter start, had for the first time when he saw the glory of God when he was first called and, and Jesus said, let down your nets. And he's thinking, now I grew up with this guy, Jesus, and I remember John the Baptist said he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and I, and he, because Peter was John's disciple, first, John chapter one. And uh, so, you know, he's, he has enough revelation to call him Lord, so he says, okay, Lord, but I, you gotta imagine, he's thinking, I'm a fisherman, and I know how to fish the Sea of Galilee. I've been fishing the Sea of Galilee with my dad since I was three or four. And, uh, you know, this carpenter guy, who's never been in a fishing boat, except when I gave him a ride, uh, you know, is telling me to let down my nets again after I fished all night. But at least he has enough understanding from, from it, John the Baptist's witness that he says, okay, Lord, I'll do it. And when he sees the glory of God, uh, he, can't, he can't even get the, the fish in the boat, and he has to call for the other boats for help, and everybody else is still trying to figure out the fish, and he figures out, uh-oh, the fish isn't the lesson here at all. The lesson is, is this guy has all the fish. This is, this is the glory of God that I'm seeing. And he, and he, hits, the, he, he hits his face on, in the sand. Must have been, don't you hate sand like when you come in? I love the beach, but I just hate the aftermath of the beach. All, trying to get all the sand not in the car and all that. Uh, he hits the sand face down. He's got some in his mouth and, and uh, his hair is all wet. And he, and he said, you know, Lord, depart from me. I, I'm a sinful man. You, you, you can't, don't call me. I'm the wrong guy here. You don't know the bars I've been to. You know, you don't know uh, the attitudes I've had about God. You don't know that I didn't do so good in the rabbinical schools. That's why none of the rabbis chose me because I, uh, you know, I misquoted Leviticus twenty three seventeen because the, all the young people in, in Northern Galilee would quote the entire uh, first five books of the Bible verbatim by the time they were 12. And the ones who knew the most other parts of the Old Testament on top of that were chosen by the, by the best rabbis to become, to become scribes and, and follow them. And Peter and John and Andrew were among those who were passed over. And this rabbi scribe, John the Baptist, <laughs> drafted them instead, who wasn't exactly the height of social acceptedness. He wasn't in the big church. And he didn't have uh, nice cars in his parking lot. Uh, he had grasshoppers coming out of his mouth. <laughs> and uh, smelled bad and wore funny clothes. So uh, I hope we get that. Okay, so uh, anyway, belonging before uh, converting. Go, go down to the very bottom of the page, point C, and that's what we're going to try to cover today. Preparing for and during prenatal development. So... Hopefully we have the, this understanding of this. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. We have looked at this as an instantaneous thing in our culture with these altar calls and with evangelists, you know, the Billy Graham crusade and somebody who has no reference point to God uh, coming forward. 
if you really study church history and theology a little more deeply, you'll see that the people who respond to those kind of presentations have been pre-evangelized. Most evangelistic efforts since the Civil War have been, have been effective at reaching backslidden Christians. But we no longer have a culture which most people are pre-evangelized. Even many churchgoers know very little about the attributes of God. They have a very man-centered way of thinking. Even what God, you know, there's actually a lot of gospel presentations are about what God wants to do for you, that he has a wonderful plan for your life and so forth. And uh, single brothers say, add that he has a wonderful plan to give me a wife and these kind of things. But it's not... um, that's really just not the way it works. Okay, there's all kinds of things in Jesus' teachings about sowing, fruit, seeds, harvest, pre, you know, and so forth. There's a process of conversion. And you can't violate that process. Jesus was so intense on this that he let the rich young ruler walk away. Now, I'm not totally convinced that, that as the church really began to gain momentum uh, five and eight and ten years later, perhaps the, the things that Jesus had left the rich young ruler with had continued to work in his life. Maybe he repented later. I don't know if he did or didn't. But I know that Jesus wasn't about to uh, just pray a sinner's prayer with him, make him a deacon because he was a big tither. That's, that's not going to work. So let's look a little bit at prenatal development by looking at John chapter 3. John did a very good uh, opening up of these scriptures not too long ago called Blindness. I hope you've listened to it a couple times as I have. I usually have to listen to John's messages twice just to understand them because they're, frankly, he's one of the only two Bible teachers that that I listen to regularly that, that kind of opened my thinking to new thinking all the time. I appreciate that about you, John. Thank you. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him by night, which, of course, John brought out as a symbol in John, poet, his poetry and so forth, of uh, that he's a man in darkness. Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs you do unless God is with him. Now, again, Nicodemus is in darkness in many ways. As John pointed some of those ways out. One of the ones he pointed out is he's coming at night. Why? Because he fears the other religious leaders. Galatians 1.10, Paul says, If I were still fearing man, I could not be, or a man pleaser, I could not be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. The level of fear of man in your life has to be broken. I don't care if, you, if it manifests itself in shyness, if it manifests itself in uh, trying to look more religious than you really are, and whatever, but you have to come to a place where you fear God. And that will set you free from fearing men. Now, God doesn't want you to just have a kind of a hard heart, and I don't give a crap what anybody thinks, uh, <laughs> you know, which uh, I, most of us have been tempted to have at certain times of our life. But uh, I don't give a crud what everyone thinks is probably a healthier place than being all concerned all the time about what everyone thinks. You know what? I, I you know, I, I 
I, I tell young Christians, there's lots of young Christians who don't want to tell their testimony. That is a huge mistake. That is a huge mistake. I don't know if you need to uh, try to do this top this testimony game where you like you describe how bad you were to outdo everyone else how bad you were, but but you'd really need to lay it out there. Uh, he rescued me. I was totally wrongly motivated. I was totally lost. I was totally addicted. I was totally useless, uh, and he he rescued me. I wasn't looking for God. He set up the circumstances in my life to come looking for me. And I ran as long and hard and far as I could till he finally had his foot on my neck and he said, I love you. I've died for your sins. I'd like you to receive me into your life and, and change who's re running the show here because you're really mucking it up, you know. <laughs> and uh, I, I really can do better. You know, take my yoke upon you. Uh, because, you know, we make better yokes than the yokes you're under right now. <laughs> you know, that's the gospel. Uh, we make better yokes. So, uh, tell people that, that your testimony, they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they loved not their life even unto death. You need to have a testimony of how you God took you from dark to light with total admission of how dark the dark was. Okay, so that's, uh, let's keep going in John. That was no extra charge for some insights from verse two. So, but I really want to get us to verse three through five. Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, in both of these quotes in verse 3 and 5, I want you to, to get gear, gear in on something. Often because of our cultural blinders, uh, because of our just, you know, you the Bible was meant to be read many, many times, and you have to read the whole Old Testament a lot of times to really start seeing what the New Testament's about. Often because of that, when we see Jesus answer people's questions, we think Jesus changed the subject. I, I thought that for many of the first few years of my Christian life. I'm thinking, the guy says this and that, and Jesus says something totally different. Okay, so th this is very important to help you interpret your Bibles rightly. Jesus always answers the question that was asked him. His answer, because of our cultural problems, sometimes... Uh, in our blinders of various kinds, religious blinders, different things we have right now, sometimes his answer, seem, answer seems very cryptic at first. But he's actually answering directly the question asked. Okay? That'll help you as you wrestle through the sayings of Jesus. He's, not, he's never just saying, that was a stupid question. Let's go on and talk to these people over here. He doesn't do that, thankfully. Uh, so, when Nicodemus comes to him, he's, he's answering the deepest question of Nicodemus' heart. This is, this is a guy totally lost, totally blind, religious, fearing man, uh, not under, you know, tr totally performance-based in his approach to God. And Jesus is about to undo all that. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
see in the sense of perceive. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? So Nicodemus doesn't understand this phrase born again at all, which is tragic since David was born again. Look at Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. Abraham was born again. Even Saul got born again. And, and that's why Jesus later says, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? So uh, Jesus answers him, truly, truly, which is kind of Jesus' way of saying, pay attention here. Like foghorn leghorn. With the, the, pay attention, boy, I'm talking to you. Uh, so uh, he's, he, he, no, he's not saying it in that kind of spirit, of course. Uh, I don't think. I, I think he had a lot of compassion uh, on this situation. I say to you, unless one is born, ek is the Greek, out of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God, which is something different than perceiving the kingdom of God. And then he begins to help him. He, uh, in the Bible, there's couplets, triplets, the way the Bible communicates. He restates things so you can, he can clarify it. He knows he's not going to understand this. So he begins to, under, to help him understand what it means to be born out of water and out of the spirit. What does it mean to be born out of the spirit? This is... Nicodemus already knows what it means to be born out of water. He, that means coming out of your mother's amniotic fluid, uh, being born into this world in the natural. John chapter 1 deals with that. But as many as received Jesus, to them, you know, remember John chapter 1, 11, he, he came to his own, that is his own people, the Israelites, and his own people did not receive him. But verse 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right, or the Greek word is exousia, which we get power, which means both the power, the ability, and the authority. See, we've made it a Greek thing, so we think it just means that you got the legal right, that you were forgiven of your sins, that you, you were washed clean and so forth. But he also gave you the empowerment to become like your father to become a child of God, to become someone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, someone who mourns, oh, uh, blessed are those who mourn, someone who's meek and who's being prepared to inherit the earth, and so forth. He gave them the exousia, the right, the power, the enablement to become children of God, even to those, and I'm still in John chapter 1, even to those who are born not of the will of man, nor of, not of blood, not of the will of man, or of the will of the flesh. That's how you're born the first time. But those who received him, he, but he goes on to say, but those who are born of God. That's, that's, so he's, John chapter 1, verse 11 through 14, 13, is talking about the same thing as John chapter 3, 3 through 5. And so he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. When you get, when you get born the first time, you're a fleshly, flesh and bone bodied human being, and you have a spirit, and that spirit is dead. It's out of fellowship with God, and no amount of religious education or religious observances is going to do anything about that, except whitewash the outside of the tomb. And, the, and that's why Jesus says to the religious people of his day, as he would to so many today, you 
your outside are like whitewashed tombs. But inside, you're like dead men's bones. Inside, your spirit needs to be filled with the spirit of God. When you're born again, when you're regenerated, your spirit is quickened. And so he says, the wind, uh, that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said you must be born again, because you have to be born a second time of the spirit. Now, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it's going, and so is everyone who's born of the Spirit. It's why so many people who get born of the Spirit, they go home and tell all their natural-minded family and friends and so forth, and they think that their natural-minded friends and family are going to go, well, that a boy, way to go. Oh, you know, and their natural-minded family goes, what, did you join a cult? <laughs> what, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you know, what, what? What was wrong with the church upbringing you already had? Uh, because they, you, unless you're born of the Spirit, you can't understand where the Spirit's coming from or where it's going, why these people all of a sudden have new motivations. You want, you want to please God? Yeah, yeah, keep that on the back burner like you're supposed to. You know, and you know, get a good education and make a good living and marry a, have a good marriage and and look good and acceptable to, to the culture around you and so forth. And, you know, go to church every Sunday and stuff. But don't get too serious about that stuff. And the, you know, and the kid goes, gee, I thought everybody would be excited that I, I met the Lord, you know. Not so much. Uh, so... You know, Jesus goes on to say, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Now, this is, this is important to see. What makes a difference as to whether a new birth has occurred is not whether it happens slow or fast. Okay, in the natural, for instance, when you get baptized in the Spirit, you get a prayer language to speak in tongues in God. That's a second encounter with the Holy Spirit after regeneration, after conversion. When that happens, you're, how fast that prayer language comes as a matter of, of leaning on the Spirit and flowing in the Spirit and so forth, it can, so things can come instantaneously. Or some people struggle through some things. Uh, the same way, in the natural, in the natural, God created the time-space continuum. He created a geographical world, and it's subject to hours and, and weeks and days and months. So in the natural, you, the longer you go towards the full nine months, the more the biological things that have to happen uh, cause the baby to be born healthy on the average. Okay, In the spirit, you can't measure it that way. But you can measure it. There's, we have a whole other teaching I'm not, that we'll go into at the end of this uh, little series I'm doing on this uh, called The Five Vital Signs of Life. If people are really born again, you'll start to see some changes. And we'll go over those when we get to The Five Vital Signs of Life. But, uh, and that's toward the end of, that's in part uh, number seven, biblically measuring conversion, growth, health, and discipleship. And God wants us to evaluate. You know, when the Bible says don't judge, 
He's saying don't condemn. He's not saying don't diagnose so you can serve and love and help. How could you ever lead people to Christ or, or disciple or help people mature if you're not diagnosing correctly? So, uh, of course, if you diagnose correctly, you might get from somebody who's not wanting that diagnosis. Don't judge. <laughs> That's the uh, main, main, uh, the only biblical doctrine that uh, most people know. Don't judge it. <laughs> Let everyone do whatever they want. Uh, so, when, remember that movie Moscow on the Hudson? He, he finds the cop, the cop goes... He goes, this is America. He, the man can do whatever he wants. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, um, in the natural, a conception takes place. And then if things go right, that zygote, that human being, from the, the, from the second there's a conception, one of the great mysteries, our, our, whole, our whole life is filled with mysteries. There's three persons in one being. There's, uh, we are saved by the second person of the Trinity, God, the eternally begotten Son, who became a human being at a point in time, and he was fully human. You know, they were filled with mysteries. And life itself starts with two, a sperm and an egg, cease to be a sperm and an egg, and they become one. And they both bring equal amounts of information, equal amounts of chromosomes and DNA and all that, and the two become one. There is I go. What am I uh, saying wrong there, Kat? You sure? What? So, what's um, so the two become one, and uh, there it's it's a human being. As a spirit, soul, and body at that second. And that begins to divide and grow and develop. Uh, and that's how Jesus himself was planted in Mary's womb. Now, when it, as it begins to grow, a, a sack of called amniotic fluid, which is 98.6 or 7% water, develops. And the baby is later born out of water. That's why women say, oh, my water broke. Uh, and... Interesting experience with that myself once with my wife when I was tickling her on the couch. <laughs> we were laying on the couch and I was tickling her and the baby was doing about two days and all of a sudden she said, oh, my water broke and went running into the bathroom. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I said, well, that ended that time. Uh, so uh, we're uh, now getting our pack to go to the hospital. So, you know, in the kingdom, the same thing happens. There's a conception, and the conception starts because Jesus said, no one can come unless the Father draws him. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. God, from all eternity, planned to go get Fawn. Now, that was not in Fawn's plans. Uh, that wasn't like one of his major goals as a junior or senior in high school on the football team or with girls or whatever he was into, right? That's, but God comes knocking on your door. Right, And uh, at some point, the word of God, conviction from the Holy Spirit, which can, the Greek word also means convincing, begins to happen. Okay, now, that can happen really quick. I know a few people who actually really got converted at an altar call. I know of two. 
uh, that that I could that's you know and one of them's my wife and one of them's Ned Baruby. Of course, my wife wasn't at an altar call, but she only heard the gospel for about twenty minutes. But God had made her so ripe that she was like, "Yeah, I want Jesus. I want it all." Um, usually, if that happens, the main thing the person's keying into is the the promise that one part of the gospel is that you'll receive a new life. You'll become a new creation. If any man's in Christ, uh, he becomes a new creation. Old things have passed away. Uh, sometimes God has brought someone so to a place of so much desperation in their life, uh, they've mucked it up so bad, and they and God has actually begun to help them see how the depths of sin and how much they've mucked it up and what being your own Lord really turns out to be, that when they hear you can have a brand new life, they're ready to hear that. But generally, it's a process whereby your eyes are progressively open to the depth of sin, the greatness of, of, the, of who God really is, his great kingdom, his holiness, his majesty, his glory, and you're uh, more and more aware of the, the depth of the gap, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that he cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that he cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and him so that he doesn't hear, and you don't hear him. That's why J Jesus says in John 5, uh, 29, 30, he said, uh, a time is coming, and now already is, when the dead, and he's, and he's later talking about uh, people who are physically dead, but at that point, he's talk, very clearly talking about spiritually dead. A time will come when the dead will hear my voice, and those who hear will live. See, anyone who truly gets born again, God always works through his word, his spirit, and his church. Of course, he always works through the circumstances of your life that he sovereignly set up to draw you. And there's always going to be human agency involved, but there's going to be a place where you realize this is not John Gray sharing a message at Kids Rock. This is the living God knocking on the door of my heart. That's why if you have any kind of ministry at all, the more you get filled with the word and the power of the spirit, the more fruitful it'll be because apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Paul plants Apollo's waters, but God causes the growth. And it's only when the word of God through the spirit of God is actually going through you so that, that you're just a conduit that, that new birth happens. When there's no credit to be given except the glory to given to God. Well, hopefully uh, we can kind of understand that and if you can study i we have a uh, i have a teaching my longest one eight pages called receiving jesus christ 14 biblical words i'd really encourage you to uh, uh send me an email and i'll email it to you but if you can kind of begin to understand a process of god draws people he convicts people uh he begins to change their orientation from self to him they usually start actually uh, wanting to be in fellowship. First John three, I know that we, uh, we know that we passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. I used to hate Jesus freaks. 
Oh my God, I hated Jesus freaks. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I would ask him questions for hours. The Jesus freaks would have to tell me, Greg, it's two in the morning. <laughs> I got to go to work. Ask some more questions tomorrow night. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know uh, so uh, if you can get a hold of that, then you can actually become like a Hebrew midwife. What you really are, are doing as in the, what we're going to talk about later, the EPDC, Evangelism, Pastoral, Discipleship Continuum, is you're actually just being a partner with God, looking for what God's doing, and being an instrument of God because he's that loving and gracious that he's chosen to work through uh, the likes of us. I think that's because it makes it, shows his greater glory because that he could work through dorks like us and uh, it's amazing and he does and so you you become an instrument of god helping the person move along the the, the path of conversion uh and and a full convert is always a disciple always a follower always uh, you know, they, they, they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they love not their life even unto death. A full convert hates their old life and wants all of God's new life and is willing to rethink all priorities in life, all relationships, all goals, all values, and so forth, to, to, so that they can have the maximum of what God apprehended them for. Amen.